Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Mission Church, how we doing? Happy Sunday. Oh, I missed you last week, but man, I love Chase. I love when family comes to the house and brings a word like that. This whole week I was thinking, walk it out, walk it out. So thank you, Pastor Chase. You blessed me. Uh, But now we're going to get back into how great is our God series. But before that, I actually want to address two things before I get the message. One is, um, when are we reopening? Uh, I know that Gavin Newsom came out and said that we can now have groups of 100 or less meet, but our county officials is actually who we're submitted to, and uh, they came out yesterday and said that they're going to start looking at guidelines next week on when we can reopen. So I don't want to act like an arrogant young leader and tell you, hey, we're going to meet on this date, because to be honest, I have no idea when we're going to be able to go back. But here's what I would ask of you. Ask that you would pray that we would have wisdom and courage to go back when God says go back. And so I'm excited. Oh, I miss you guys. I miss worshiping with you guys. I miss being able to see people who said yes to Jesus and talk to them after church and just talk about what God's done in their life. Um, but I know this, God is using this season. So I'm not gonna try to fast forward through this season. I'm gonna quote a pastor I heard last week. I'm gonna walk this season out, okay? So let's be walking this season out. Um, and when we know when we're going back, you're gonna know when we're going back. And then the second one, it's a little more heavy, is just our nation's hurting, Our nation is hurting. Uh, If you have seen anything on the news this last week, you've seen what happened with George Floyd, and it's just heartbreaking. And as I've been processing, um, I've always had this heart for our church that our church would always be a part of the solution and not the problem. And so I just want to ask our church for a couple things. Of course, the obvious things. Let's mourn with those who mourn. Um, Let's pray uh, together as a church. And let's really be a blessing to the black community. And, and one of the ways I think that we can be a blessing uh, uh, to the black community in this next season, and I, I, I want to read you a, a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. before I even tell you what I think we can do. He says this, that riots are the noise of unheard voices. Riots are the noise of unheard voices. This week, if we could do anything, people got opinions everywhere. But church, let's just listen this week. Just let's just listen. Let's try to seek to understand Let's not be loud to speak, but let's just listen this week and learn how we can be a part of the solution, not the problem. Does that sound good? Okay, I'm gonna pray real quick. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing um, uh, in our church. And, and Lord, I know this, that, that Lord, that right now as our nation is in dark times and there's so many different things, Lord, I know that you're in control. Lord, I know that you're leading steps, Lord. I know that you're raising up great leaders to lead out of these things, Lord. I know your spirit is with us. So Lord, we will not fear. We will not be timid. We will not back down, but we will proclaim the name of Jesus because you are the answer of all answers. Lord, we love you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. All right. Fantastic. I, I want to read you a verse. Romans 4.18. Now, we're in the book of Genesis, how great is our God, but I want to read Romans 4.18 because it kind of almost gives this statement of Abraham's life. Abraham is one of the greatest people ever to live, Father Abraham, uh, God's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know this, but listen to this verse, Romans 4.18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Oof. I don't know about you, but some people you need to hear this today. Keep hoping. Let's see what it says. This. Believing that he would become the father of many nations, for God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. Stop. Title of my message today is How Great Is Our God? Subtitle, Abraham, the confident Christian. The confident Christian. I don't know about you, but man, I don't meet a lot of confident Christians. I meet timid Christians. I meet second-guessing Christians. I meet re- uh, religious Christians. I meet legalistic Christians. But very rarely do I meet a confident Christian saying this. I know that COVID's happening right now, but my God is bigger, and we're going to come out stronger. I don't meet a lot of Christians that tell me, I know my marriage is broken right now, but I believe my God can redeem my marriage. Man, we need confident Christians in the house of God. Confidence is not a worldly trait. I believe it's a biblical trait, and I'm going to show it to you. That verse says right there that Abraham, 
had confidence when he should have no confidence. Well, let's be honest. And confidence is under attack all the time. Our confidence gets rattled so quick. I wrote down a handful of things that just attack our confidence. One is time attacks our confidence. You'll see this with Abraham. He gets a promise about he's going to have a son, but time goes on. Uh, simple things in my life have attacked my confidence when, uh, with time. I'll give you a simple illustration of how time would attack my confidence. I remember when Rachel and I would, uh, went on our first date. Now, we go on our first date, and I thought it went well. We talked for hours. I'm talking four hours, sitting down, laughing. We walked around. It was one of the... Not one of the, it was the greatest first date I ever had. Shout out. Come on now, girl. Uh, and then the next day, what I would do after I would go out on a date with a girl is I would wait for her to text me to let me know how great of a time she had. And this is, again, I had confidence. It was great. And I remember like waiting for Rachel to text me. It was 12 p.m., no text. It was 2 p.m., no text. 4 p.m., no text. I was like, this girl lose her phone or something? Did she go to the same date I was at? And because every other girl I had dated right after the first date was like this, oh my gosh, I want to get married. They would text right away. I had the best time, even before like, like I'd drop them off, I'd be driving back to my house, best date ever. Like that's the girls I dated before. But Rachel, she just played it cool. I realized she was the first girl I really had to pursue. So I remember I had to text her first. Hey, I had a great date. And she wrote back, oh, me too. Later I'd find out that Rachel was obsessed with me, uh, literally uh, obsessed, I'm just kidding. But it's kind of true. Uh, we of course got married, but man, time attacked my confidence. Did she have a great time? Does she want to go on a date with me again? And let's get a little more serious. Some of you have felt like you had a promise from God for your life or for your kids or for your marriage or for your career. And some time's gone by and it's been one year. It's been two years. It's been four years. And you're starting to question God and question yourself. Is this even the promise for my life? We're gonna find out in this series as we look at Abraham that time is not where we put our confidence. We put our confidence in the promise of God. Second thing that attacks our confidence is just people. People attack our confidence. People attack our, I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll never forget in junior high, do you remember the kid in junior high that had a six pack for no reason? Like he came out of the womb just ripped. Like, you know, we were playing shirts and skins and hoops. And it's the first time I didn't care how I looked until I saw the kid with a six pack. I remember him taking his shirt off and it was like, doo -doo 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 -doo. and I still had baby fat on me. I had zero muscles on my body. And I remember looking at his six pack and going, I can't even take my shirt off. It, it just, it rattled my confidence of how I was created. It's amazing how people just, uh, and, and they don't even do it on purpose. We just look around at other people and we question how we were created. Have you ever been around the Christian that prays so good that you don't even want to pray after him? Like they rhyme perfectly, they pray in King James, they pray with this kind of authority, and so they're praying at church, and then after they're done praying, you, you're supposed to pray, be like, I, I got no confidence in how I pray. I don't know how to rhyme my prayers yet. How do they know all those verses when they pray? They go, oh, it reminds me of what it says in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Isaiah. I mean, what, again, this is just what happens. It attacks our confidence. You're going to see that people attack Abraham's confidence. But here's what I love about Abraham's story, that time does not have the final say, that people do not have the final say, that his creator has the final say. A couple other things I, I think that attack our confidence is our own failures and insecurities. I don't know about you, but Man, I have messed up more times than I can count. That my insecurities, that, that where I'm deficient makes me question, God, how could you use somebody like me? How could you use somebody with, with this kind of past? How could you use somebody that just hasn't been able to get over this kind of struggle in life? How could you use me? That's gonna attack your confidence. But again, we don't find our confidence in our performance. We find our confidence in his promise. And last but not least, man, circumstance is gonna attack our faith. 
But can I just tell you this real quick? Faith is not afraid of the scoreboard. Let me say that again. Faith is not afraid of the scoreboard. I think of Abraham's life, we're gonna look at it. He is in the last quarter of his life. He's going in the fourth quarter. He's down 100 to two. He's outscored. It's impossible to come back. But our God shows that there's no score too big. There's no valley too low for him not to redeem it. May a circumstance not affect your faith. Against all hope, may we still hope. And the last but not least, I just wrote culture. Man, culture shows us so many ways to act confident, to find our confidence. Find confidence in your career. Find confidence in finances. Find confidence in your performance. The reality is those things are fleeting and they don't give you confidence. They're circumstantial confidence. Man, I wanna find confidence in my creator. Those are just a couple of things I feel like uh, uh, we get in our attack. You guys ready to go in Genesis 12 and study Abraham? Find how we can overcome the time, overcome these things? Here we go. Genesis 12 says this. The Lord had said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Okay, this is what I love. Mission Church is our name if you're tuning in. Mission Church. The word mission is uh, taken from the Latin word missio, which means sent. I don't want to scare somebody who's tuning in for the first time, but if you encounter God, get ready to get sent. If you encounter God, get ready for him to say, get out and get in. Because he's gonna take you from your comfort zone and put you in your calling. God is calling Abraham. He is giving him a mission, missio. He is giving him a mission and saying, I'm going to call you to be a blessing to others. A lot of people picture Jesus like a Mr. Rogers, but the reality is Jesus does the same thing when he encounters people. He pulls people out of their environment. You'll hear him say this, come follow me. This is, you'll see over and over again, when you encounter Jesus, he will not just say, hey, how you doing? Will you be my neighbor? He is not Mr. Rogers. I'll give you a more better, uh, I'll give you a better illustration of who God is. You ready? God's not like Mr. Rogers. He's like a tornado. He's like a tornado. And here's what I mean by that. Think of Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is this story about a girl named Dorothy. A tornado comes and she gets displaced from her home and she gets put in this special country, gets new friends. She gets uh, these new shoes, these new clothes, if you, if you will, and she's put on this new adventure. You say yes to Jesus, guess what happens? It's like a tornado. You get taken from where you were. God puts you in a new place, a new community. It's called the church. You get new friends for a new journey, and you get some new digs. Maybe not the cool red pearly shoes uh, like um, Dorothy had, but what we get is this thing called the robe of righteousness, where we're hidden in Christ. Come on, God is like a tornado. I look at Rachel and I's life, and I go, how in the world did a kid who was 16 raise his hand in church in Puyallup, Washington, go from Puyallup to L.A. to the Bay? I didn't know where Walnut Creek was, but when I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to the tornado of being sent wherever he wanted to send me. Oh, if you are a real Christian, get ready to be on mission. Get ready to say yes to what God has for you. This is what happens with Abraham. This is what happens with every Christian. Oh, I love that our name is Mission Church, the sent church, the sent people. Let's be a church that leads the church. Uh, I, I say this sometimes in our meetings to our church. We don't want to bring people to the church. We don't want to bring church to the people. I always say at the end of our, our messages, are you ready to go change the world, church? Let's go change the world. You're sent to go change the world. Second verse says this. It says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Stop. Who's making him great? Abraham making great or God making him great? God's making him great. Who's gonna make him a blessing? Is he making himself a blessing or is God making a blessing? It's always God. How great is our God that you can't make yourself great, that you can't get yourself promoted, that you can't make yourself a blessing, but God comes in your life and you'll see this. Jesus does the same thing. What does he say? He goes, the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I have come to give you life to the fullest, an abundant life. I've come to bless you so you also may be a blessing. This is, the mir- this is mirroring the way Jesus would encounter us. It's an amazing picture. 
blessed to bless others. Blessed to bless others. Rachel and I in this quarantine, I'm going to tell on ourselves, we watched all, well, actually, we skipped the first Hulk movie because it really doesn't fit, but we watched all the Marvel movies, 22 movies. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm also reading books. I'm also watching documentaries, but we watched all 22 Marvel movies, okay? And one of the things that I caught in the Marvel movie that Rachel and I, we started weeping in the middle of it. It might have been because of the quarantine or the movie. We don't know. But what happened was, is in the middle of Doctor Strange, you know the movie Doctor Strange, he's this gifted surgeon. He's a brain surgeon, the best of the best of the best. He's been given this gift to be able to heal people's brains, and he uses it for his own glory. He uses it for his own gain. He uses it for his own fame. And then he gets in a wreck, and he loses the use of his hands. But then he finds out that he has this magical gift. Now, let's, magic's bad. Harry Potter's bad. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, let's keep going. But he gets this gift to uh, literally uh, be this person that can protect the world from the worst. But he's hitting the lid on really what he could be and what he should be. He, he, he's not actually fulfilling his purpose. And his mentor brings him out, and she says, you're missing it, man. You're missing it, Dr. Strange. And I love what, what she says to him. And Rachel and I, it just, oh, it hit us, and I pray it hits you right now. She says this. It's a simple statement. It's not about you. It's not about you. Your gifts, they're not about you. God wants to use them for his glory. Your finances, why God blessed you with finances, it's not about you. He wants to use them for his glory. Your, your, your talents and your treasures and your time, all these things, can I just tell you, it's not about you. God wants to use it for his glory. And until you understand that you've been blessed to bless others, you'll never hit your fullest potential. You'll never be a world changer. You'll never be a sent one. You'll never actually be a confident Christian. Because instead of being confident, when you get blessed, you'll be holding on to things. When you get blessed, you'll be afraid to fail. Christians who understand they're blessed to be a, a, a blessing, they're not afraid to fail. They're not afraid to give. They're not afraid to be generous because they understand that they're not in charge of the generosity. They're in charge of being the conduit of generosity. Ah, oh, come on, church. May we always remind ourselves, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about his glory. It's not about me. This, this whole story isn't, the Bible isn't written about me. It's written about a man named Jesus. And he was a fully man and fully God. And he died on a cross and conquered the grave. My life is here to reflect his glory. My life is here to make his name big, not make my name big. Oh, may we understand that Abraham was told that in that second verse. Let's keep going. Third verse says this. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. Woof. I wrote this down and I, I hope this ministers to you, but it's a little bit longer. Just, I'm going to read it to you. Some people think Christianity is a way to escape this broken world. You bunker uh, your family in and just wait for Jesus to come back. I'm here to tell you that that is not the gospel and that is not Christianity. We are not here to escape this broken world. We are here to change it. Bless it, love it, and see the God, kingdom of God transform it from broken to whole. We're not gonna escape what's going on. We're not gonna escape the brokenness. We are gonna run to the brokenness because we have the answer and his name is Jesus to redeem it. Does that sound good, church? Come on. You wanna hear something? That's not even my message. That's the appetizer. Let me put it this way. That's the breadsticks before the pasta at Olive Garden. And if you love Olive Garden real quick, I don't even know how many people at our church love Olive Garden. Say yes in the comments on YouTube right now. Give me a thumbs up. Say, yes, I love the breadsticks. Yes, I love the Olive Garden. Because right now you just got the breadsticks. This was just the appetizer. I got a whole message for you. Are you ready for this? Here comes the main dish. Ready? What we're going to do is we're going to look at how did Abraham become a man who would hope against all hope? Did this happen overnight? 
No, it didn't happen overnight. Look at Genesis 22. We're going to, like a movie, if I could put it that way, we're going to go to the end of Abraham's life, and then we're going to actually go back to the beginning. We're going to look at the end of his story and then go, how did he get to be this kind of person? How do you become so confident? How do you have so much swagger? How do you have so much confidence in the greatness of God? Here's what it says in Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. This is God's character. Get ready for your faith to be tested. It's not a bad thing to be tested. God wants to test your faith. Tested Christians are developed Christians. Tested Christians are proven Christians. Tested Christians have a testimony. Do not fight the, when God's testing your faith. So he's testing Abraham's faith. God called, uh, God called, he said, yes. He replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Stop. You need to know something real quick. Abraham's greatest desire was to have a son. Isaac was his lottery win, if you will. Isaac was the thing that he desired most, that he tried to manufacture in his own strength at times, where he would doubt and question God, and he'd wonder, what's going on? I think all of us have this one thing where, like, if I get this, I've won the lottery. If I get this, then it's, it's my lottery win. If I find the, the man of my dreams, it's my lottery win. If I find the woman of my dreams, it's my lottery win. If I get the career, it's my lottery win. If I get this position, it's my lottery win. If I have this kid, it'll be my lottery win. Do you know that 70% of all people who win the lottery go bankrupt? 70% of people who win the lottery go bankrupt. Three to five years, they're going to bankruptcy. You want to know why? They never developed a character to steward when they won that lottery. And what I love about what God does is you may th be thinking he's holding out on you right now and why you don't have your Isaac yet, why you don't have your promise yet, why you don't have the thing that you're going, why are you holding out on me, God? Here's why, because 70% of Christians bankrupt the things God gives them. I've seen too many people, oh, I can't wait to get married, and then they bankrupt their marriage. Oh, I can't wait to get the career of my dreams, and it bankrupts their Christianity. Oh, I can't wait to be the person that has this, this kind of financial structure, and then it bankrupts their lifestyle. They don't even serve the church anymore. I, I want to... I wanna encourage you real quick. If you wanna be a confident Christian, be confident in the process. Be confident in what God's trying to do right now. Be confident that God's not holding out on you, but he is withholding the lottery win so when you actually receive it, you'll actually know how to steward it. Abraham's, oh, towards the end of his life, and he has grown in confidence. He's grown in character. And so here's how he responds. God says, give me back what I gave you. Give me back the most precious thing that you have. And here's what, Peter, here's what Abraham does. You ready for this? The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped some wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for a place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in a distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Woof! What, I mean, the servants even, I'm, I'm trying to picture, did the servants know at this moment what was happening? Did they know what they, they were going up for? I, I like to think the servants knew. And, and to think the servants, can you imagine Abraham said, hey, here's what I want you to do. You guys stay here. Me and Isaac, we're gonna go up there and we will return. But God just said, Abraham's a confident Christian. He's confident. God's not gonna take the promise from me. I just need to surrender the promise. No matter what, if, if Isaac dies, he'll bring him back to life. No matter what, I know my God now. I know how great he is. I know how faithful he is. I know God's greatness, so therefore that's why my confidence is so great. Could, could you say the same thing when God asks you to surrender something? Could you surrender all of your finances and say, I'm gonna go surrender everything and I'm gonna come back with even more. Can you surrender your title? And I say, I'm gonna surrender my title, but I'm gonna come back with even greater purpose. 
Can you surrender? Can I just put it this way? Can you surrender the consistency of a paycheck and say, I'm gonna come back with even greater security? This is what Abraham is. He's a confident Christian. But how did it happen? How did he steward his lottery win? How did he steward his promise of all promises so well? Let's go back to the beginning. You ready? Let's go back to Genesis 12. I want to mirror two people today, and I know that I'm not going to be able to get through this whole message. We're going to have part one, part two, so, so bear with me. It could be a 50-minute message, and some of you are like, keep going. And some of you are like, thank you for the 30-minute message. I'm going to go about 30, 35 today, and that's going to be okay. What I want to do today is I want to look at a couple things of watching Abraham's confidence develop, watching his failures even help develop his confidence. And the first one I do is I want to look at a picture of Abraham and the rich young man in the New Testament. I also wanna look at Abraham and Lot in Genesis 12 and 13. So let's look at Matthew 19 real quick. What does it mean to be a confident Christian? What does it mean? Now here's something you're gonna have to wrestle with. I have a question for you. Do I find my confidence in God's promises or my possessions? Do I find my confidence in God's presence or actually in my performance? Now, let me set this story up real quick. Matthew 19, uh, if I were just being honest, if we were at church, the, the rich young man would, would be one, a lot of people at church would say, that's the real Christian, Abraham's not the Christian. Because the rich young man, he hasn't murdered nobody, he doesn't lie, all the above, he's following all the rules, he looks like the, the, the prototypical Christian. Abraham, he's, if I, for lack of a term, he literally goes to Egypt and he pimps out his wife for favor and for goods. He said, I'm gonna say you're my sister so I can actually have some favor. That, that, he's using her to gain. Who does that? He, he sleeps with his wife's assistant to um, say, this could be my heir. He, does, he, he doesn't lead at times. He, he forces things at times. And we would say, the guy who's sleeping with the wife's assistant, the guy who is uh, doing these kind of things and rushing through, that can't be the Christian. But what's amazing is Abraham's actually the one that celebrated, not the rich young man. I want to show you the story. The rich young man comes up to Jesus and they have this interaction. And basically, he basic, uh, him and Jesus converse. And the way I picture it sometimes, like, uh, you know, he said, I've done it all. And Jesus is like, what do you mean you've done it all? You, you ever murder somebody? He's like, nope, never done it. You ever commit adultery? Nope. You ever steal anything? Never. Uh, do you lie? Never lie. Uh, you good to your mom and dad? Great to my mom and dad. Love my mom and pops. You know, he's, 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 he's checking the list. You, you love your neighbor as yourself? Oh, I sure do. I love my neighbors. So this guy's got the list. He's got the performance down. Here's what... Jesus says to him in Matthew 19, the young man goes, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young man replied, what else must I do? Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Come follow me. Here comes that scent. Here comes that request. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions, many possessions. What does it look like to be saved? People always ask me, what does it mean to be saved? What's, what's, what's one of the greatest depictions of being saved? Abraham's moment of being called out was his salvation moment, if you will. Here's what it means to be saved. You changed your foundations. You've changed your foundations. The foundation before I found Jesus, my foundations was my performance and my possessions. But when I found Jesus, my foundation was his presence and his promises. He's my foundation now. Really, what, if I could put it this way, the rich young man, when he heard this, he went away sad for he had many foundations. What's a foundation? Let's just unpack it real quick. And, and you gotta ask yourself, what is your foundation? What are your possessions? Let, let's look at it this way. If you lost everything, but you had this still, you'd be okay. Well, uh, the rich young man goes, well, if, if I lose my finances, I lose my security. Well, if I have a bad day, well, at least I have my performance. Well, if I have a bad day, well, at least I'm still rich. Well, if I have a bad day, at least I still have my houses. Well, if I have a bad day, at least I still have my title. 
So he walked away sad because all of his foundations were titles, places, possessions, and performances. He missed out on all of it. And then you have a man named Abraham. And Abraham in Genesis is called out, and we, we just read it. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'll make you famous, and I'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you. All the families on earth will bless through you. And you see Abraham, it says he, he left. Did, did Abraham get it right then? No, he got a promise at that moment. And can I just tell you real quick, if you want to have confidence in God, the promise of God must always be bigger than the possessions of this world. Let me say that again. The promises of God must always be bigger than the possessions of this world. Another thing you'll see with Abraham is Abraham is a man that always goes, even with Lot, and we're going to look at Lot in just a second. <laughs> Lot and him start to get wealthy. Now, what's interesting about when you get wealthy in the, in the biblical times, it's not like your bank account grows. There is no banks. You get more herd and more, more livestock, and so you have to have more servants, and so you need more land. And they're in a place where the land couldn't, it couldn't actually help both of them, and so they're now in a squabble. Really, Lot's in a squabble. Uh, he's angry at Uncle Abe uh, for, uh, for what's going on. And so Abraham says this to Lot. You pick whatever land you want. I'll just take whatever. You tell me where to go, and I'll go. When the promises of God are your treasure, when the presence of God is your treasure, you're not afraid of losing nothing because can't, it can't be taken away from you. And here's what Lot does. And I want to look at these two because you have one, the rich young man who performance and possession are really his um, things where he finds his confidence. And Lot is actually, he finds his confidence in possession and place. Look at this real quick. It says this in Genesis 13:10. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Stop. Hawthorne, a brilliant scholar, brilliant theologian that is an expert on the book of Genesis, he just teaches on this little statement that Lot looked around and he said that Egypt, like, I mean, this valley looked like Egypt, but he also said this valley that he picks with his eyes, it looked like the garden of the Lord. It looked like the garden of the Lord. And Hawthorne makes a simple statement that Lot wanted the things of God without wanting God. And I think all of our heart desires the garden of Eden because really what Lot's desiring is what the garden of Eden provided, an abundance of everything, an abundance of joy, no shame, an abundance of peace, an abundance of produce. The garden of Eden was perfect. And so when we were cast out of the garden, we were built for the garden. Oh, our eyes long for the garden. And Lot is a depiction of somebody trying to use the world to gain the Garden of Eden again, to gain what the, we lost in the Garden of Eden. So Lot, with his human eye, says, that looks like the Garden of Eden. I pick that place, and I pick my possessions to go over there and be fruitful. And Abraham, being confident that he doesn't actually get his fruit from a place, he doesn't get his abundance from a place, but he gets his abundance from the presence and the promises of God says you can have the most fruitful looking place with your own eyes. I see something different with my spiritual eyes. Can I tell you what the goal is in life? Can, can I tell you the goal? Contentment. Contentment is the goal. Abraham is content at this moment. Confident Christians are content Christians. Content Christians have this different swagger about themselves. They already have everything they want. And so when we fight over things or we lose things, all good, I still got what I want. This is what happens with Abraham. Abraham is content with the promise and the presence. Let me ask you this question. Are you content with the promise and the presence? Right now, when you look at your life, because I've met too many disgruntled Christians that feel like, well, if I just had this job, well, I just was over here, if I just had this, if I had this title, 
you'll never be content from those things. You're looking for the garden of the Lord without the Lord. Just seek his presence. Hold on to his promises and watch contentment rule your heart. Watch contentment mark your life. Watch what happens when tests come because you'll be tested again like an Isaac and you'll be content. God, I have everything I need. I have your presence and I have your promise. And if you want to take my Isaac, take my Isaac. I have your presence and your promise. If you want to take the title, take the title. I'm not losing anything. I've got everything. I've got two more points, um, but I'm going to go to the conclusion and we're going to do a part two. Is that okay? I'm going to skip to the conclusion. I want to read this to you. I find this fascinating about Abraham, the confident Christian. Abraham, the confident Christian, It says that in the New Testament, he's celebrated. Why is he celebrated? Because of his performance? No, his performance is never celebrated in the New Testament. Is he celebrated because of all his possessions? No, he's not celebrated because of all his possessions. Is he celebrated because he had a great title and a lot of land? No, he's not celebrated for that. He's celebrated twice in Hebrews 11. The the, the Hall of Fame of Faith. He gets two Two, two celebrations in Hebrews 11. It's like in the NBA, like back-to-back MVPs. Very few people in the Bible get two times in Hebrews 11. Just a few of them are mentioned twice. Abraham's mentioned twice in Hebrews 11. He's mentioned once in Romans 4.3, and it says this. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Stop. You want to impress God? Believe that he's great. You want what God has for you? Start believing in the greatness of God. Abraham was celebrated for this simple fact. He believed that his God was greater than anything, greater than death. This is the great moment in in Genesis 22 that he went through all these failures. We're gonna look at even next week some of the failures, that that failures will not determine your uh, your confidence. But he sees God always redeem, always redeem. So when he's asked to give up the most important thing, he's got a confidence. I can't lose it. I want to read you actually in Hebrews 11 what happens. Hebrews 11, uh, 8, it says this. By faith, Abraham, when God called him to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Abraham left. What are some things that you need to leave by faith? By faith, Abraham left. Didn't know where he was going, but he knew he had to leave some things. Some of you need to leave some things. You need to leave some anger. You need to leave lust. You need to leave some bitterness. You need to leave some things you've been holding on to that you're not supposed to hold on to. And by faith, leave them and watch where God takes you. Oh, by faith, Abraham left some things. By faith, you need to leave some things. I need to leave some things. And what's amazing, it says in verse 17, in Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who had embraced the promises, was about to go sacrifice his only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Stop. The two things that are celebrated about Abraham is his faith to leave, to go get the promise. Amazing. But the second one's even more important to me. All of you, you need to leave to go get the promise. Let's go get the promise together. But once you start getting the promise, this is what's so amazing about Abraham to me. He surrenders it right back. He is celebrated for having faith to go and faith to surrender it right back to God. And he reasoned. Have your faith reason. Reason it through your head. Let me put it this way with the rich young man. Let me, let me say it this way. The rich young man walked away because he had a resume of how great he was. And when you have a resume about how great you are, you'll always walk away afraid. Abraham <laughs> stewarded the lottery so well because he had a resume of how great God was. And when you have a resume about how great God is, your faith will always reason. 
I know that, the, that, I can, that hope says I shouldn't hope, but against all hope, I'm reasoning that my God can overcome this. I, I look at my God's resume and how great is my God. He is too great for me to doubt. He is too great for me not to surrender everything. He is too great for me to say in this test of faith that I cannot say, God, I trust you. In the midst of this death, in the midst of this bankruptcy, in the midst of this divorce, in the midst of this betrayal, in the midst of this chaos, God, I trust you. Not because my resume is great, because your resume is great. My faith reasons my, great, uh, my God is great. My faith reasons it. Church, I want to be a faith church. I want to believe God. I want to surrender things to God. I want to give God things I've been afraid to give him. I want to pray dangerous prayers. I want to live a life where God looks at me and says, when he tells me to leave, I go. When he tells me to do this, I'll do that. I also love this about faith. Faith's about being planted. Faith's about planting yourself and saying, God, you told me that this is the promise and I'm going to hold on to it. And I believe that I'm going to be at Mission Church for the rest of my life. And I'm planted here. And I believe there's a promise for a Bay Area revival. I believe there's a promise that we're going to see hundreds of thousands saved. You want to know why I believe that? Because I reasoned it by faith. My God's resume tells me we'll see a revival. He's the one who revives the dead. He's the one that brings the lost that are so far, he brings them home. Man, will you believe that with me, church? If you believe that with me, just click, I believe in the YouTube comments right now. Say, I believe for revival. I want to see everybody in the YouTube comments and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Because I want a church that says, I believe by faith, my God can revive a region. We bow your heads and I want to pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for uh, just who you are. Oh God, when we focus on the greatness of our God, we cannot be stopped. When we focus on the greatness of our God, we can pass any test that you put our way. Oh, Lord, I pray right now for the one that is praying with us that's never, ever said yes to you. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes right now. I pray that you would, you would awaken their soul, that they would want to say yes to you, God, that you breathe life into them right now. If you're somebody who's watching right now, I want to ask you if you want to say yes to Jesus. You want to say yes to heaven, no to hell. You want to leave bondage and say yes to freedom. You want to leave cursing and say yes to blessing. If that's you today, there's a handful of ways you can say yes to Jesus. In the YouTube right now, you can click yes. On our website, you can go and say, I said yes, and we'll have a pastor follow up. If you're with somebody, tell them you said yes. If not, call somebody texted me and said, I just said yes to Jesus. Greatest decision of my life. Mission Church, I love you. I miss you. It was a heavy week for me. I want to be with you still. I want to, I want to worship. I want to see people come into the house of God. I want to see them be saved, and I want to be sent out and go save other places. Man, I believe it. What God's given us is not for us. It's not about us. We're going to change this world together. Be blessed. See you next Sunday. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.